Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Rob D, back in the house. How you doing, bro? Hey, what's going on, brother? Hey, we're still, uh, I appreciate you filling in uh, for Austin as uh, Austin's taking a little bit of time off. He is probably, as we speak, yodeling somewhere in the hills of uh, Europe. And I picture him with that little yodeling outfit on and, uh, and his little knickers and high socks. Um, I just got a very disgusting taste in my mouth as I'm describing that. Hey, I was thinking he'd look good. <laughs> he looks pretty good all the time. How you been doing, bro? Absolutely. Doing great, man. Just living, uh, living the dream, taking one day at a time, one second at a time, and uh, trying to do uh, the best that I can for myself and everybody around me that I can help. I hear you. I hear you. Did you not just do a 5K? I did, my friend. What the heck? My fat ass was moving. That is awesome. So tell me about it. Yeah, it's a part what, of my recovery. What was it? Well, part of my recovery is that I got to move this uh, fine fat ass around. And, uh, you know, I got to I gotta be motivated. And, uh, you know, I saw it was actually a virtual run. I get these emails for virtual runs. And it said, hey, uh, September Suicide Awareness Month. Uh, we're doing a 5K, uh, and I saw the symbol uh, for suicide awareness and hope, and I was like, I got to get that medal. So uh, I was like, 5K it is. So the medal, hold the medal up there. So the, oh, that's so cool. So it's, for the listeners, is actually a probably, what, a two-inch round, two-and-a-half-inch round, uh, silver chrome metal with the semicolon in the middle, which I just recently found this out. I didn't know this. I don't know why I haven't seen this, but uh, the semicolon stands for hope. I was told that it stands for uh, recovery and long-term commitment to um, health. Um, is that fair? Is that because I'm, uh, this is new. I'm new to this. Yeah, uh, it was actually uh, turned on to me by one of the guys in my home group. He actually tattooed the semicolon um, on him and uh, he brought us through the story of uh, it means hope and, you know, never ending because the semicolon can go on forever. Um, and the, uh, the biggest thing that I love from this medal, medal as well, it says keep hope alive. So, oh, I love that. Especially, especially with Suicide Awareness Month in September, I think that uh, it, it it just rings the bell. Well, actually, that's how I how I saw it. I ran across it because a, a couple of good friends of mine uh, that I love uh, out in Sacramento. Sacramento, California, Chris and Athena Ruiz, amazing human beings. Um, Athena's a California highway patrolman out there and her husband, Chris, while I was out there, I got to visit him and Chris actually took me to the airport and I saw the tattoo on him. I was like, Hey, what? I saw that on Athena as well. What? Tell me about it. And he was telling me this uh, cool story about what that semicolon tattoo represents and is absolutely, I love it. I absolutely love it. Such a, such a great message. Of saying, hey, I have hope. Life's not over. We're going to keep going. Uh, you know that uh, Chris and Athena are uh, absolutely amazing people and have battled through some really tough stuff. Athena lost a partner. Uh, Bob French. As a matter of fact, I think we just had his anniversary uh, a little bit ago. His uh, uh, line of duty death anniversary. Um, and that was actually how I met them. But the... 
you know, the semicolon, uh, such a great symbol for uh, hope. And uh, next chapter is going to be going to be better. You know, I love that message. Well, yeah. And I mean, especially with suicide, uh, especially the people that are going to commit suicide or have those thoughts in their head, they don't make it public. Uh, they don't have that, you know, beam of light going, Hey, I'm ill. Uh, I, I don't, I don't like myself. I'm thinking of hurting myself. Uh, it, you know, it's not like you break a bone. It's not like you, uh, have cancer and you need treatment. It's literally, uh, a, a disease and a, and a problem that we deal with that you can lie and lie through it because I've done it and nobody will ever know. And I mean, you've seen it more than I have that when people are in uh, distress, they, they really don't want help, but they, they have that little inkling, uh, especially when we can help somebody that goes, Hey, I might want to call somebody or I need help. And that's when the police get involved or a recovery center or a friend. Rob, I think the timeliness of this is great because this is actually suicide awareness month. This is September. Uh, and this is such a, um, sensitized, uh, sensitive, sorry, sensitive and stigmatized topic that I think this is, uh, let's just take a minute today and talk a little bit about, uh, kind of the ins and outs of this, um, crazy, crazy subject of suicide. Um, you know, I, I have done a lot of suicide interventions, uh, and what I've found and what research actually shows is that most of those people don't actually want to die. Uh, they just don't want to continue living the way they're living at their present moment. Is that fair? Do you have thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. 100% that, uh, you know, there's there's triggers in life. Uh, and when you're not taking care of yourself, uh, when you're not putting you in your recovery first, when you're not uh, looking at the positives, hey, I woke up this morning, I got my feet on the ground, life can go to that dark side. And I know we talked about in the last one that there's that negative energy that there's that evil energy that could consume you, man. And your brain is just, and that little voice inside your head just keeps negative talk, negative talk, negative talk. And you just need to get away from it. And some people think, uh, as well as I did is the way, the way to get rid of that voice uh, is to end it all. And, you know, and yes, people say it's selfish and all that stuff. I don't believe so. Uh, I think that uh, I was in definite pain inside. And I think that I didn't know how to help myself or what tools I could use. So that was the only tool I had as an option. You get to a point, and then I'm paraphrasing here, it's just for conversation purposes for, to, for your story. So you got to a point uh, that you felt there was no other options uh, in dealing with the hurt and pain that you were carrying to other than to take your own life. Is that fair? Yo, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, I. in addition to the flashbacks and the seeing a dead guy in my uh, kitchen and you know, just dealing with that and then the caseload and, 
you know, the thoughts of being a failure and all that stuff. It just adds up, you know, and I didn't have that outlet. I didn't have meditation or um, healthy boundaries or communication of, you know what, I'm having a shitty day. I just kept it all inside. I went into work. I lied when they were like, hey, how's your day going? I'd say, it's great. It's awesome. And I would always be the happy-go-lucky guy at work. And they're like, oh, man, I love working with you. You're the best to, to work with and all this stuff. And I was living a lie. And I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take lying to myself and lying to other people. So I said, well, if I'm living a lie and I'm not the person that I want to be, why the fuck am I here? Don't you think there's a um, mindset, though, uh, that's prevalent within our community of firefighters and law enforcement and corrections that we face death so much that there's actually a kind of an ease and a comfort of being around that so closely that it's that makes that leap easier? Oh, I mean, you're talking to the guy that uh, for most of his career dealt with death. Uh, I mean, I was the investigator of all things death, kids, adults, uh, whether it be homicides or neglect or just suicide. Uh, it's It was easy for me. It's, you know, it was home, you know, not to sound morbid, but I mean, I was, that was my home for many, many years is dealing with death. And dealing with the other side of suicide and dealing with the hurt and the pain that these families had to deal with on the flip side. And I was so messed up in my head at even seeing these families go through this hard time that I thought that, that was my only way out, which is just now thinking about it now after two years out uh, of uh, Chateau. Uh, I can't believe that I got that far and I refuse to get help because of ego. The no one fights alone podcast is excited to announce the launch of our new merchandise line. Now you can show your support for our mission by purchasing one of our hats, shirts, or hoodies. Our merchandise not only represents our brand and message, but also supports a great cause. A portion of all proceeds will go towards helping individuals and families affected by mental health. Wearing our merchandise not only spreads awareness for our podcast, but also serves as a reminder that no one has to fight alone. Join us in showing your support and spreading the message of hope and community by purchasing one of our No One Fights Alone items today from our website, nofapodcast.com, nofapodcast.com. Ego, um, isolation, uh, dependence on self. I mean, these are all, um, you know, red flag things that send you down this road. I feel like, um, you know, I, I look back on my career a little bit thinking uh, I wasn't afraid to die. Uh, there was a couple of times where um, I think I don't realize how dangerous a spot I was in because I looked at um, uh, not as actively suicidal, but passively thinking, you know, if, if I died in the line of duty, it would be better for everyone. You know, if Oh, I, I had that thought multiple times. Right. And just to, just to think, um, people would be better off. People would be, uh, 
better taken care of. They wouldn't be burdened. Uh, you know, these, these kind of thoughts that go through your mind, like this is, this is so much, uh, frustration and pain and hurt and loss that I'm living in that, um, if, if I were to die in the line of duty, you know, take a bullet, something, um, everyone would be better off. Oh, I had that thought many times. That's why I didn't even wear a vest sometimes because, you know, following up on a homicide or something like that. And I'm all by myself, you know, I'm going to a transient camp all by myself, no vest on. And, you know, my wife would be set. Um, the house would be paid for and she could find somebody that's not crazy. And, uh, you know, maybe have a happy life and stuff like that. And I, and I even called her and told her that when I was in my worst, you know, Hey, I know you can find somebody better. I know that you can do better. Um, you know, I, I, I give you my blessing to find somebody better, uh, and move on and that kind of thing. Now, I already had that all planned out. I had that, you know, in the books and, uh, now I'm like, dude, I put a ring on it. You're stuck with me. <laughs> hey, if you don't mind me asking, uh, and maybe for the listeners, what, what was her response when you, when you put all that in front of her? Uh, well, I, called her because I was uh, extremely upset. Uh, and it was about the time where it was kind of getting realized that I wasn't going to be a cop anymore. Yeah. And the ego got in the way and sure. all that. So I called her and she's like, well, first off, she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she's at work. And I'm driving around and, uh, you know, I come to this huge confession and, all this stuff. And she's like, what are you talking about? What? And then she's like, like a light bulb goes off and she's like, uh, where are you? And I'm like, nowhere. (laughs) She's she's like, uh, go find a place to go. And you know what? Call your buddy. Who's not at work right now. So I was like, okay. And then actually my buddy was like, what are you doing right now? I'm like, Hey, I'm in a bad spot. Um, I don't know if I can go home because I, I didn't have my gun on me. I, my gun was at home. And uh, he's like, where are you at? I'm like, I told him where I was at. And he's like, let's go to the movies. I'm like, go to the fucking movies. I was like, all right, whatever. And sure enough, man, we went to the movies and took that, took that little piece off. And uh, I still couldn't go upstairs in my house, but uh, I stayed downstairs, waited for my wife to come home and, um, stayed downstairs the rest of the night and, uh, worked it through, uh, with therapy and that kind of stuff. And, um, it was a trying time, but it, it worked. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I think there's a, uh, I think there's a lot of folks out there, um, that think about suicide, that it never even comes up in conversation. People we never even know that, uh, are walking around. Uh, that live among us, our first responder, our cops, our firefighters. Uh, you know, research shows that, uh, that, that firefighters, uh, the prevalence of uh, suicide ideations among firefighters is very high, upwards of 50, 50%. Depends on which research paper you look at, 47%, 48%. Uh, I mean, think, take that in for a second. That's, that's, that's every other firefighter almost every other firefighter 
has had thoughts of this life would be better off without me. Well, two things there. I mean, first off, you got to hand it to the firefighters because they do the research. They do, they're looking out for their guys, you know, especially with the cancer stuff and now mental health stuff. Uh, the cops don't do that. There's, there's a stigma. We don't want to talk about it. We're so far behind. Uh, and oh my God. So God bless the firefighters. They're actually realizing that there's a problem getting to the point of it and uh, doing a great job of trying to combat it. So I got my hats off to them. And, uh, you know, I had another point, but I totally forgot about it. Cause <laughs> you know, my, uh, my father's a firefighter, uh, and I see what they're doing at his firehouse and especially with, uh, traumatic events and that kind of stuff. And they're, they're more leaning towards mental health and, Hey, we just had this horrific call and the chief literally while they were on scene said, you are all going back to this firehouse. You are all going to, uh, be provided resources and brought in, uh, I don't know what it was, a counselor or, or something to that effect. And the counselors told them straight out, Hey, right now you might feel like, uh, you're okay and you're fine, but take my card because in the next couple of days, that's when things get rough. And that's what I, I found out, you know, as a cop and also as a fireman is that night or that day that you go to that call. Yeah, it sucks. And you know, it's sad or, or whatever, but it's the two days later, your end days. That's when you're like, when you have that time to think that's when it got rough for me. I don't know about you. I think there are a lot of folks out there that are experiencing uh, those similar thoughts uh, either on uh, maybe it's new to them or maybe they've been there for a while. Uh, you know, this, this is, this being suicide month, I really uh, am thankful that, that we're talking about this, that we're having this topic come up. Uh, I just recently did a suicide intervention again. That is, you know, those are hard. I do a lot of those. Uh, I've done a lot of suicide interventions uh, in this community. Um, there's been several that really stuck with me um, that, that uh, nearly every time I have found that that person doesn't want to die. They just want the pain to stop. They want the, they want the, um, they want the hurt, uh, to be lessened. They want to, they want to figure out a way, but they don't have that way. They don't have that, uh, they don't have that avenue out of the only answer they see in front of them is to ease that pain. I need to remove myself completely from this situation. Um, self deletion. I saw that term the other day, uh, in the techno world, uh, our, our social media age. Uh, I, I saw, uh, the, uh, self deletion term used. That was new to me. You know, this is, what is that? I, that's, I don't do that's, social media. That's so. take, that's killing yourself. That's su committing suicide. Um, completion of suicide, self deletion. Uh, the, 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 actually the frame of it was, uh, a young person had self-deleted, uh, because of, uh, social bullying and, you know, it was ter terribly sad, but I just remember thinking, wow, that's, we've, we've come up with another, uh, kinder, gentler way to say somebody has actually killed themselves. Um, 
and you know, I didn't really necessarily have any kind of negative thoughts or connotations to it when I was looking at it, but I just thought this is, you know, again, we're, we're coming up with uh, a new way to minimize the impact of that on us so that we don't actually have to say that person took his own or her own life. Well, and you, you know, talking about stigma and ego, people don't, I mean, even families after uh, somebody completed suicide are like, oh, they passed away, you know, it, and I get it, uh, but uh, I also see that we should uh, get the the news out. No, I think that's what we're doing right here. I think this is uh, I think this is a great opportunity to actually just have a conversation and lessen the the impact of of, of having fearful conversations about uh, the impact some of these ugly things have on us. You know, it could be a variety of things. It could be uh, past traumas. Uh, could be, you know, the, the, as you put it, the, the, you know, living with the dead people, uh, that you have worked so diligently to protect and fight for and advocate for, uh, that maybe didn't have an advocate, you know, those people that were killed or, you know, specifically in the law enforcement, uh, fire emergency room, those trauma pieces where you're dealing with death, uh, advocacy for, uh, finding a killer or, a a perpetrator, you know, um, what some of those look like, uh, are, you know, video loops in your head. They just replay, uh, this person, uh, just replays, or it could be an image, uh, it could be a voice. It could be a sound. It could be a scream, uh, you know, that, that are just, they don't, it doesn't go away. It just does not go away. Uh, and I think as we sit and, and have this conversation, what you and I have both found is that uh, there are people trained, uh, therapy clinicians that are trained to help you minimize the impact of some of those memories or uh, impact of those um, those interactions that we had in our career. You know, the law enforcement, firefighter, corrections, emergency room, these are noble professions. These are uh, courageous people doing great work out here. Uh, but it comes with a cost, man. It's a heavy, heavy cost. If you do this work long enough, you're going to have things that just get stuck. And some of those things are, they're rough. They're bad, you know? Yeah, and exactly. Uh, but I, I want to say that, uh, yeah, people are going through these really hard times and tough times. But look at me, I got out of it. You know, uh, if you dive in, you go to treatment, uh, you accept that you're having a difficulty, you accept that you're seeing the small and minor details of I'm not happy, I'm not, uh, you know, those thoughts creep into your head, those suicidal ideologies and that kind of thing. And instead of being like me, and say, just putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, shove it down, shove it down, shove it down. You go, you know what? Maybe I need to talk to somebody. Maybe it's my preacher. Maybe it's uh, a therapist. Maybe it's just a coworker. And start there. And there is a way out of all of this pain and suffering. But you got to do the work. That's the problem. You got to do a lot of work. Well, I think I think you made a you made a point early on that uh, you know Austin and I often talk about. You don't you don't have to. Some of these things don't require going to a chateau, 
or a uh, centers of excellence like what we what we have done. Uh, some of this can just be therapy or normalizing the conversation of saying, "Hey, I'm having a shitty day. This thing I can't get rid of this this memory, or I can't get rid of I can't shake loose this case. Uh, it it just is stuck." Uh, and, and normalizing these conversations, uh, to the point, but, but to also saying, Hey, if you need a Chateau, we're here, we're here. If, if that's what you need, if that's what, uh, maybe your therapist is saying, nudging you saying, Hey, it'd probably be beneficial for you to go spend some time at a, at a facility like Chateau, man, what did it, what did Chateau do for you, man? Oh, well, first off, it's scary. And I know trying to get people into Chateau or, or any treatment, they always have the same fears. Well, you know, I'm going to be away from my family. I'm going to be uh, not able to communicate or, or whatever, depending on what facility you go to. And what I learned very early on when I was there is it is a blip in your life. You know, if you do 30 days, it's this little tiny blip. And I thought that the world was going to come crashing down. My wife wasn't going to be able to handle herself. And, you know, the world's going to come crashing down. The house is going to go on fire and whatever, you know, horrific thing and catastrophizing thing I can think of. And after week one, week two, and the house didn't burn down, you go, okay, the world still turns. I'm getting better. And this is just this little blip in your hundred year life that is only for you and only helping you and the people that are around you. So it does get better. Life does get better and life continues on. And hopefully if you continue this work and this, um, you know, trial and error, basically after you get out, you will affect so many other people. And being honest with people and going, yeah, I do have shitty days. I sometimes I wake up and it's real shit, but other days it's like, man, I am so grateful that I have people that love me in my life, that people that care about me and people that will call me on my bullshit. At this time, we would like to extend our sincere gratitude to the sponsors of this podcast, Chateau Health and Wellness. We truly appreciate their unwavering support in our mission to raise awareness and provide valuable resources for those struggling with PTSD and mental health issues. For many first responders, the daily stressors and traumatic experiences they encounter on the job can take a heavy toll on their mental health. It is often difficult for them to seek help or even acknowledge that they may be struggling. That's why organizations like Chateau Health and Wellness are so important. They specialize in providing tailored treatment plans for first responders, recognizing the unique challenges they face, and offering specialized therapy for PTSD and mental health issues. By partnering with Chateau Health and Wellness, we hope to not only raise awareness about the importance of mental health and first responders, but also encourage those who may be struggling to seek help and support. We believe that by prioritizing our mental well-being, first responders can better serve and protect our communities. You know, you bring up such a great point in the gratitude piece there of just being thankful uh, for what you do have instead of looking at uh, how difficult some of those are. I'm reminded of a, uh, a recent story, a recent interaction. Uh, I didn't get to meet him physically, but I saw uh, he was honored 
Uh, it was a Marine Corps veteran that was honored at an event uh, for his work in helping people in the suicide community. And he himself uh, was uh, so overwhelmed and overcome with the suicide ideations that he locked himself in his garage, his story, uh, for five years uh, and became this just this nothingness of staring at the walls and contemplating suicide about every day for five years and drinking himself to oblivion. And he got some help coming out of that and since started working back into the community. But the reality of that story is there are people out there. It was unbeknownst to some of the people. There are so many people out there like this, Rob, that are just, they, they don't see the silver lining. They don't see uh, that they have things to be grateful for. They don't see that they are important in other people's lives and, and attach themselves to, uh, this, these loving relationships in a proactive manner. Whereas I hear it, I hear it in your voice. I hear it resonating, uh, when you talk about this and I hear this. So, you know, I think this has been a great point of discussion. I think, uh, I think as we kind of wrap this up, uh, what message would you give to people out there if they were in these dark places or if they were having these thoughts and, and, most of the people that I've encountered, my experience is they're not talking about this. They're, they're not having these conversations because they're scared to death that if, if the, I'm, I'm going to go on admin leave, they're going to take my gun away. They're going to take me off the rig. They're going to, you know, they're, they're, you know, so I can't talk about these things. Um, but if you were, if you were to tell somebody, uh, you know, how do I find peace? How do I find uh, serenity uh, in this? What would, what message would you give them, Rob? Well, especially for uh, police and fire, I mean, because that's the world that I came from. Be honest. You know what? There's there's some departments that are not apt right now to handle mental illness. They they're just behind the curve. They're small. They're uh, they're not up to speed with these large departments. So yeah, you might face those. Hey, we have we're freaking out, and we're going to take your gun, but. What you have to look at, what are they doing it for? They're doing it for your health. They're doing it for you. And yes, it sucks. And that's demeaning that they take your badge and your gun and um, they, they treat you like an inhuman person. I get it. And it's happened to people that I know. And it didn't happen to me, thank God, because just somehow, some way things just happened for me and I work for a larger department. Um, but my thing is, is that yes, you could seclude, you could uh, not talk about it and lie about it. But what's, what does that do? Is that helping you at all? Is that instead of just going, you know what, this is bothering me, this case, this event is bothering me, or, hey, I have a whole career full of awful memories and hurt and pain that I just need to get rid of it. I need to file those things away either with EMDR or meditation or therapy and get them straight, especially for our uh, retired guys. Cause when you retire from the police department, mm, uh, yeah, I don't know much point. about fire, but, but it hits you and we're, we're talking about people that are working, 
but the suicide rates of people that retire are even greater because they weren't ever afforded that uh, that outlet. And now they have nothing and their identity has gone. So I would say get into treatment, get yourself right, get, um, get things moving before you retire. I think that's, that's how I would uh, leave it off. Rob, you bring up such a great point on the retirement piece. Uh, I think that, uh, um, you know, statistically, um, the retirees, uh, the suicide in the retirement community is really high. Uh, and I've often said, um, you wouldn't go 20 years without seeing a medical doctor. Why would you go 20 years and not seeing a head doctor? Uh, and I think it's important to note that, again, it, you know, treatment is not necessary for everyone, but it may be for you. Uh, and, and we're not advocating uh, Chateau's the only great facility out there. We've had on this podcast, we've had uh, many, uh, we've interviewed many great facilities on here. Uh, but also there's some great therapists out there that maybe you just need to go sit down with a therapist. Uh, but I think as we, as we kind of close this out, I, I would offer up to anyone listening uh, that if you are in this space that we're talking about to where you're thinking, uh, it would just, it would be better off if, if I just took my life or my family would be better off so that I wasn't a, if you're, if you're in this spot, Rob and I both would love to talk to you. Either one of us would be volunteer. Austin, same way. We've said this several times on here. Uh, my phone number is 405-245-5139. If you're in that space and you need a you need to visit with somebody, feel free to call me. I will talk to you anytime. Uh, let's have a conversation. I would rather have a conversation there than you carry this weight and this burden around by yourself all day, every day. And I know you're out there. I know there, that there are listeners out there that say, that think this and what Rob's found, what Austin's found, what I've found and what so many other people have found is peace and serenity uh, and, a, and a calm to the chaos that happens in some of these memories and, and these careers. We've found a calm to that. And I would just encourage all of our listeners. Any final comments there, Rob? Yeah, and my number is 602-541-8003. And I understand that sometimes you can't answer the phone. I understand that, uh, you know, sometimes it goes to voicemail. But there's also every single community has a suicide hotline. Uh, any, any police department has a crisis intervention team. So please reach out to them, reach out to us. All you need to do is just reach out to that one person that might flip that switch in your brain to, um, put the gun down or, uh, stop doing, or just change your thought process. Just know that you're loved. We love you. Absolutely. Don't even know you. We love you. Absolutely. Hey, Rob. Another somebody great... out there that loves you. Rob, as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks for jumping on and filling in. Love you, bro. Love you, bro. And uh, our, to our audience, we love you, and we're here to support you in any way we can. Chateau Health and Wellness is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's first responder resiliency program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. 
it addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Health and Wellness is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031.